Amen. It's good to be with you this morning, church, and excited about what God is doing. I sense some true green buds of life throughout the body, and and God is uh, stirring his people for his purpose and his own work. And so I've said it before, but I say it again. This is not our church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died and bled for it. And she is within her walls. There's a spotless, unblemished bride that he will return for and then present to his father a kingdom that's above every other kingdom. That's a father who has a name above every other name. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to one name under heaven. And that is the only begotten's name, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray also, Father. I thank you and I know I'm fully aware of the work of the Holy Spirit that lets us have an understanding and a hearing ear. Lord, will you do today what we cannot do with intellect? I thank you that Paul the Apostle said that he did not come with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you demonstrate that Holy Spirit in the weakness of humanity. And your focus has always been upon glorifying your own name through the resurrection work of Christ in a body who has found itself crucified at the cross and then raised from the dead to forever glorify you, Lord. Thank you for those that I prayed with off the college campus and I asked, Lord, that you would do exceedingly far above all that we could ask or hope for. I ask that you would take those young ministers and begin to show them not only their gifting but equip them and let us as uh, their friends and those who fellowship with them encourage and spur one another on in love and good works. And so, Father, we're thankful to be in your house today, serving with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start this morning, it may be a few weeks of this, but I want to minister this morning on simplifying. And when you talk about simplifying, uh, it's quite a challenge in the culture in which we live, and so everything is so complicated. And so as we think about simplify, the word simplify, there's so much that you would begin to think of. Maybe you think about your own home, your own life, maybe your job, or it's really anything that becomes so complicated that it just puts the kind of pressures that come from every direction. And so I want to start, uh, it may end up being kind of a series and not born out of a book, but born out of the heart. I believe that God wants us to focus. And so we have an ability to focus at times, if you're like me, now I'm a little ADD. I was ADD in school, and Pam and I were talking about that. So I need to really focus. Amen. So I don't know if you're like me, but I need a focal point, and I need to stay there. And I thank God that after 25 years, he found me at 17 years of age. I never found the Lord. You see, I was lost, and he had to find me. And so he lifts the beggar from the dunghill. And this is what the hound from heaven does. He comes out of heaven, and he sniffs out all who are broken, all who are lost, and all who are in prison, if they're captive by their own flesh or their own sin, the hound of heaven will sniff you out and then reveal to you in one way or another the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And when this is witnessed by a sinner, they can then come full-fledged to the cross of Christ, receive him not only as Savior but as Lord. And then as they begin to walk out, 
all that God has done in them through this, not only the knowledge, but the workings of Christ. Wow, what a glorious thing it is to him. So I won't preach all day on that. Amen. But let's simplify, church. Let's begin to look and uh, set ourselves in a posture to simplify our lives. Let's simplify. And we don't want to simplify just for the sake of simplifying. There needs to be a purpose. There needs to be a focal point. There needs to be a reason that we simplify. So I found this simple definition. I really liked it this week. I want to share it with you. A simple life is not seeing how little we can get by with because, after all, that's poverty. So when I say simplify, I'm not asking you just to kind of cause yourself to suffer and hope that somewhere in the midst of that you're righteous. Because if that's all you did, you would just find yourself in total poverty. But this is really the the focal point of simplicity should be how can we efficiently put the first things first? And so that should be the focus of our generation. How can I put first what should always be first? And boy, this spans so much ground, so much in our lives. And if we do this, I believe we can get where God wants us to be. And so we know that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, that once you become double-minded or many-fold-minded, manifestly minded, minded in so many areas, it's hard to accomplish the task that you've set out to do. And so I'm asking you as a church and as families and in my own life, this is a challenge to simplify because Julie and I have lived a very simple life. And so uh, some years back, we began to agree that our our family and, and serving God was the most important thing of our life. Now, not that that wasn't important before that, but there had been so many things come in, being self-employed. We had children. They had activities. They had to go to school. And so I want to be real practical this morning on this issue. And I want to be graceful because I understand that all All of these areas are very important to you in your life. But I do want to ask you as pastor that we just begin to pray about our focus and keeping the first thing first. So it's not just about chopping away everything, but it's God with wisdom. Can I keep what's most important in front of me so that everything else is worthwhile? Because after all, if the focal point is not worth it, it's not worthwhile to try to simplify. You would simply be upset and mad when you got rid of some things you either thought you didn't need or thought you loved the most. It wouldn't be worth it if you didn't see the focal point of why you were doing it. I want to finish this. When you are clear about your purpose and your priority, you can painlessly discard whatever does not support these. It is absolutely painful to try to discard something you like or love if your focal point is not greater than what is hindering you in the purpose God has made you to perform in His own will. Amen. Whether it's clutter of your, com- of your cabinets or commitments on your calendar, God will require of us today and after this message and for subsequent weeks to simplify our lives. Amen. Are you willing? I tell you, I'm going to ask you, and I just uh, yay, hey, and amen, or raise your hand up. Are you willing with me, church, to agree that, God, we will simplify our lives and put the first thing first? Amen. Okay, I have your permission. If you would, would you please open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I'd like to share with you a simple text of Scripture. It'll all be about simplicity. Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. It's a very familiar text of Mary and Martha. I hope... Amen. 
I'll begin reading. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into the certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she helps me. And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, are you careful and troubled with so... Would you say with me, church, the next two words? Many things. He says twice, Martha, and then Martha, are you troubled by so many things? Verse 42. Would you say this with me? But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. The emphasis of our Lord Jesus Christ to two ladies that he loved. And so if I remind you of the story, it's not just a story, but it's a truth throughout all the ages. It's the truth of our Savior and his response to death. Their brother Lazarus had died. In fact, when he responded, both of these ladies were believers. They both said, Lord, had you been here, you could have prevented this situation of death. And I think all of us here who believes in the resurrection of Christ would say the same thing to our Lord about a loved one that we had lost. And they both, one was not a believer and the other an unbeliever. That's not what the text is suggesting. They were both believers. They both said, Lord, had you been here, you could have done the job. You could have prevented my brother. But now we find both of these ladies, they are both witnesses to the love of Christ. They know his working and his power. But there's a difference in the two. Again, I say one's not an unbeliever and the other one a believer. That's not what the text is suggesting. It is showing us the difference between one who has many things as a focal point in their life and one that has one thing as the focal point in their life. You see, Martha had many things and she is cumbered or burdened with so many of these. It's not that the believer can't multitask. In fact, the believer is great at multitasking as long as the believer keeps the first things first. And it's always worth it to, tr- to begin to carve away at what doesn't produce if you can see that what you're into does not help you follow Jesus. You will absolutely, at the end of this service and for days hereafter, be willing to repent of that. Even if it's not legitimate sin, if it's a hindrance to your life, you will say, I will gladly get rid of this. Amen, wouldn't you? And so many things become a burden if the focus is lost. And so he says to Martha, Martha, you're coming about your burden with so many things. And then I can't help but think of another verse of Scripture. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I mean, this week as I bathed in this thought and, and what God was trying to say, it's like, it's like the Lord saying to me, He wasn't just saying like, come and I'll lay you down on a bed and I want you to sleep for 30 minutes. But it's like Jesus saying, come unto me and if you'll make me your focus, everything else you do, won't seem too heavy for you. I mean, I remember going to work, and I mean, my, my wife's back at the children, so I can really talk about her. Amen. <laughs> but boy, I mean, I just remember honestly, man, we were dating, 
And it was one, it's still wonderful. I mean, I would have married her earlier, had more chill. I just, that's how I, amen, that's how our lives are. But man, I remember like going to work and just thinking about her, man. And I was at work, but it didn't matter what I was doing because I knew what I was doing was really going to be for us and our purpose. And she was also doing these things. But I remember it was just so fulfilling to just like, we would go eat at Taco Bell at nights and we'd drive down the road and we'd drove by the farm we now live on. I said, I think we can get a chance to buy that. And, and man, I was just working as hard as I could. It just felt so great to get up like the next morning and think, I'm going to work because we're going to have this future and God's going to, man, He's going to give us a family. And now we have five wonderful children. We prayed about them before they were born because, Amen. God knows them before you're born, knows you before, and there's no accidents in this life. Amen. That means that, I mean, Solomon can be born out of Bathsheba, and amen, God can make every crooked path straight, every wrong right, so don't use the excuse there's a mistake in your life. I mean, God came to make sure that the heavy load you had could be absolutely not just relinquished, but make sure once your focus is right, every load that before was a load to you now is a joy to carry. Amen. You now become the very donkey that carries Christ into Jerusalem, and you will not mind bearing the Savior on your back if you need to. But you need to get Him where He wants to go. But God, I need you. And I know that if everything becomes so heavy as a pastor, if I don't, at 11 o'clock last night, I got out in the milk barn, a dirty milk barn. But I just needed to get with the Lord. I said, God, I just need your clarity. That's all I wasn't. I just wanted, that's it. I just wanted some time with him. And I got on my little three-legged milk stool and the floor's dirty. You've heard about the milk barn so much because this is a place I meet with God. We built a prayer room in our house, but I can't tell you why I still walk to that milk barn. It's not fair to God. My hands could build nothing for God that would be worthy enough for Him to come in. What could these hands build? Seeing that He's orchestrated the heavens as His throne. And the very earth that we now live in is His very footstool. Do I think as a man I could build something that would cause God to want to come? No. But a contrite spirit, a broken heart... A heart that says, I'm, I'm hungry for you. I'm beating my life beats for you, Christ. You found me and you've always been the lover of my soul. I was crucified. I didn't just make a simple decision that's intellectual. No one persuaded me with theology. Amen. It was the Holy Spirit that come and found me in brokenness and drew me out. And forevermore, in 25 years, Jesus Christ has always been, will always be my focus. Amen. At the forefront of my life. Amen. And whether he wants to get on my back to ride into Jerusalem or whether I need to cut some things practically out of my life because they're hindering my family. Or, amen. So let's get practical for a minute. Woo. I'm going to breathe. It's worth it. It's okay to begin to cut away as long as we see that there's a reason for this. So it's not just to cut away because the person next to you in your pew is now not doing this. That's not the right way to do it. Amen. But the Holy Spirit is able to actually convict our life. And it may not even be this actual sin, like it's just, it's not adultery. Now, if you're doing adultery in here, like if you're lusting on somebody, like, Amen. You, that's sin. I hope He convicts you, and I hope you come to the front. Amen. I'm not sidestepping sin here. Amen. 
But the bottom line is there's many things we don't see as sin, like uh, we don't see it as theft, it's not murder, it's not adultery or fornication. Are you with me, church? But these things that really get us are like simpler than that. And the enemy's trickier than that. Oh yeah. He's like, oh, man, I hear it all the time. I've been in business for years. And I have my friends that I've done business with that were done quite well financially. Boy, they've really won. You will see the arrogance as they sit down to eat and want everyone to really notice that they're there. Huh? And I've got however many thousands of acres and I've got all this. Amen. <laughs> it's not my fault. Yes, are you with me? Just not for me. I mean, I'm not impressed, whatever. Because what happens if I were the devil, I would spot men like that with the most bounty. And I would get them to think that they've won in this life because their account's big and they own lots of ground and they're successful in the world's eyes, but then I'd cause them to commit adultery on their wife. I'd cause them to be liars and cheaters on their taxes. That's what I would do if I was the devil. And then I would cumber them about with so much in this life. They'd think they won in the bank. But then I'd send them straight into heaven if I were the devil. And that's what the devil's done in our day. Amen. He'll mark men. He'll begin to take them that direction. But we're just, hey, we have to realize he's preying on us. The adversary of our soul's right around us. I mean, what does he do to get things to be more important than my family time? Like, am I going to alter, am I going to sacrifice my children on the altar of ministry? The answer is no. Amen. Sometimes if you call and I don't answer, I'm just out of commission. Amen. 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 No one's amen to me. That's somebody that they called that I didn't answer right then. Amen. Okay. Amen. <laughs> But we want to really get in a place that's simple, simplify. If we do, we're going to have to really, as we simplify our life, we're going to have to count the cost. And we're going to have to get a focal point of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in our life, in our family, on our job, whatever it may be, and then say, anything that doesn't help me do this, I need to work on. I need to get rid of. I need to chop away. If it doesn't, no, wait, it may not be a bad thing, but it may be something that's absolutely just causing more of a burden than a help to do that. If it's not helping do that, I'm saying simplify. And I remember that we turned the milk, but it's now the milk barn. It was first a storage shed, and my wife had a lot of treasures, she would call it. And it was full of treasures, you know what I mean. So I won't talk anymore about that. But the whole, the whole time I was cleaning this out, and I was really glad, but I had to be very careful because I was like, hmm, yeah, and cleaning. But I knew the focus was without this spot, we couldn't milk cows. Are you with me? And we were pursuing a very like self-sustaining type agricultural lifestyle. We wanted to spend a few years, and we did that. Had a wonderful time with just the children, locked the gate, fires burning, studying the Word of God. Just, and that was proceeding before God would absolutely plug us into ministry, and now we're pastoring a church and getting ready to help with a crusade. Amen. I mean, all this busyness, God just gave a season where you can just kind of stretch out in the green of the grass and say, Lord, you're so wonderful. You know what I mean? And so here we was, but, but some things were changing. The focal point was we needed a milk barn. We had this building, but all this stuff that looked good, oh, man. But we had to get rid of it. We had to get it out. It was a hindrance. Without me getting that stuff out of there... And she knew it too. So we moved that out, opened it up, and now we milk Bessie, we milk Daisy, we milk Shiloh. Amen. And he won't like this, but this is one of my best friends that's here today. <laughs> here he is. Amen. He don't like that because he's quiet. And hey, he, he milks these cows when we're on vacation. Amen. But we did it. Amen. Yeah, give my buddy a hand clap. He, he don't like that. Amen. But he's tremendous 
Yeah, if you would shake his hand or meet him today, he's a, if you ever hear me say, he's one of the only men I ever handed a Bible to. He read it and believed it. And today, he's still got the fragrance of Christ. Amen. Okay. Oh, he's going to really give it to me tonight. Okay. (laughs) So if we're going to simplify our life, we must first pray and say, God, what is my focus? Now, I know the obvious answer if you're a Christian is Jesus. And so within the network of being the the focus of Christ, what is God asking you? Where where are you going with this? What should your focus be? And what has he spoken to you? I mean, what does this actually look like and how do you get there? He's not going to ask you to follow if he doesn't pave a way for you to come. Christ is not going to say, follow me and leave you bewildered and in the dark. In fact, if he says, follow me this direction, the Holy Spirit is absolutely going to lead you that direction. Amen. You're not going to be left without the tutor or the teacher of heaven. Amen. And so as he does that, and you say, Lord, send me, nevertheless, according to thy word, all of these things, and Christ becomes the focus of the life, then at this point, you must say, Lord, whatever you need to do, however you need to do it, and you're going to find out, if you're anything like myself, that there are many things that are good things in your life that may need to be cut, that may need to be altered, at least may need to be back seat to the front seat, no longer in the front seat. They can still be back seat, but you just don't get the front. Amen. See, everything's a back seat to my wife. Amen. Okay. Amen. So what's hindering? And if it's hindering, and it looks like a hindrance, Lord, am I willing to repent, cut it out of the way, or just change my ways and say, look, this isn't working. This is not helping me do what the Lord asked me to do. See, sometimes we wonder why, man, I go to church, but I'm not getting much out of it. And I'm sitting in the pew, and we become pew sitters rather than the fitly framed body of Jesus Christ. And we're not even sure what our giftings are. And so I'm in here just like running all over the place like, hey, you praying about what's your gift? Where are you plugging in? How are you doing it? Okay, you're this. Yeah, then how come you're not over here? Amen. So we want you actually functioning in the body. Like if God made you to be whatever it is He made you to be, we just want you doing it. Is that simple enough? And we want an atmosphere for you to do it. We don't want you scared to do it. We don't want you to think you're one up by anything. Just if God sent you that's what he made you. Let's do it. So what's hindering you? So what's hindering you? You say, well, I have to think about that. I know that many times as a parable of Matthew 13 begins to speak to us, we find out in Matthew 13 that the cares of the world can cause you to become unfruitful. That means that you could at one point be fruitful, and maybe you're hearing this in the sound of my voice, and you say, Pastor, I remember when I first came to Christ, and it's like everywhere I went, I was just like, hey, do you know about Jesus? And then I went a little farther. I was like, hey, do you know about Jesus? And then pretty soon it's like, hey, I know how to do this Jesus thing. You know what I mean? And then we learn how to do it. And it's the most deadly thing in Christianity. We learn how to be a Christian. Huh? We learn how to do it. That's bad. Like, hey, are you born again? Yeah, I go down to such and such a church. Whoa, every bell and whistle in me is going off. Are you with me? Because at one time we were very fruitful. And it's possible that just the cares of this life begin to make you unfruitful. It's not that you're lost. It's not that Jesus doesn't love you. It's not that you don't love Him. But your love's not coming through in a way to Him that says, you are number one to me. Like, you are number one. And one of the churches in Revelation, he said, you left your first love. Like, I'm it. I have loved you more than anybody's ever loved you anywhere throughout all of eternity. God could say about Jesus, I loved you more. I don't, no matter how much anyone loves you, I love you more than they do. And the one that loves you the most sought you out the most, paid the highest price. 
And He's not sorry He paid the price for you. You didn't have too much sin, and now God's mad because He didn't know you would do this. No. He just wants you to keep Him first. And Martha, Martha, you have so many things. Well, what's different about my sister then? Because I'm real mad, and she's not helping me do the dishes and set the table. She don't get ready for the events like I do. Well, Martha, she's done one thing really, really good. Man, can you hear the heart of Jesus just pumping? I know she doesn't clean the table right. I know, but man, there's one thing. I mean, Jesus, this is literally Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the preacher out of Galilee, that says back to Martha, man, she does one thing really, really good. She loves me. She washes my feet. I mean, yeah, she's not doing this other stuff, but he's almost saying to Martha, 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 These other things are great, but I want you doing this one thing really, really well. Really well. And see, God sent Christ because He wants to do one thing really super well, wonderfully well. So much so that, man, He did everything focused around doing something great in you. And see, then there was the rich ruler that came and he'd done all these great things and Jesus, he comes and said, hey Lord, how do I get this eternal life stuff? Then he's like, man, he starts quoting Moses, like, man, don't commit adultery. Don't. And this guy's smiling and feeling great. And you know, you can see him with his religious, like, yeah, I'm a Baptist. I got this one. You know what I mean? Like he gives four points of the Baptist doctrine. huh? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I've been a Baptist for 42 years. But then Jesus gets down to what we're preaching about and He says, there's one thing you lack. It's always that one thing you lack. Go and sell your possessions. wasn't because Christ couldn't allow you to love Him with something, but because He knew in the heart of this man was a love greater for money and His possessions than the one who was preeminent over all the heavens and all the earth, who spilled all of His blood one time for everybody, for many things. One man died to give all of us salvation. Amen. And that's the truth of the Word of God. I'm still thinking about that one thing. And so there's Noah, and he's out there building the bow, and he's putting like wood on, and they're putting pitch it in between so it'll flow. And can you imagine everyone that stops with Noah? Hey, what are you doing? He doesn't say, hey, not much. Uh, what do you think about politics today? He didn't do that. There's only one thing on Noah's mind. It's going to rain. And we're building the boat. This is all that matters to him. Now, I'm asking myself, like, what matters to me? What's the one thing, if I get in conversation, that absolutely has my heart? The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Man cannot serve God in money. So he had a problem with this ruler that came. He loved his stuff more than he loved him. He couldn't put him first. Not that you can't have money. No one's saying you shouldn't have a car. No one's saying that you're more righteous if you have an old station wagon and the wheels are falling off and the paint's all faded. No one cares what you have there. Amen. You're not more holy because you have an old beat-up car than you are if you have a wonderful one. Amen. The difference in being holy is the one who is the holiness, who is the anointed one from heaven, now indwells your life because you gave all of it up to Him. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to let Him be preeminent, number one, all the time, everywhere. Amen. 
And so then you get to Paul the Apostle, and he does this again. He's like, there's one thing I do. It's always one thing. I forget what's behind me. And so some of you come here today and you said, I got all these things behind me. Maybe that's the many things that you're cumbered about. Maybe you're burdened with the many things in your past. And you say, Lord, I failed you. Maybe I've done this. Well, you know what? If God forgot about it, you need to. Amen. And let him be the one thing that matters the most. And let everything else be stripped away from you. Amen. If you're out here doing the work of God, every other conversation that comes against you building the boat, get rid of it. Amen. And just keep building the boat for God. And if you're David, then you can get over there in the 22nd chapter of the book of Psalms. And there's one thing I want to do, he said. There's one thing. I want to dwell in your house forever, God. There's one thing I do. I'm going to come stay with you, Lord. This was just men and women of one thing. They simplified their lives. It wasn't that David didn't have a kingdom to oversee, that he didn't have troubles and adultery that had been in his past. Are you with me? And God said, this is a man after my heart. It meant that he was a man that hunted the heart of God in his failure and in his success. We're really good at doing it when we do great. We're really good at saying, oh yeah. But what do we do when we have done the wrong thing and the enemy's tricked us and trapped us and we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Then what do we do? We still keep the first thing first. The one thing that matters most is Christ pursuing the life. And so I say in light of this definition of simplicity, whatever's not helping you with this will of God in your life is simply just many things. Maybe you're saying, preacher, it's not that I'm going to quit my job, get rid of this or do that. But I can see this morning that the many things I'm doing without the focus of Christ is absolutely worth nothing. Because after all, you can chase all the many things of the world. And you'll find out at the end of the day, everyone who's ever done that becomes empty and void at the end of their life. But if you will, in the midst of this, the Bible said you can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of these many things, let me call them many things, can be added unto you. It's not that God can't give you many things, but He can't feed you clothe you, take care of you, take no thought for your life, don't care about where you go. This means that God can with many things out of one thing produce all things and that once again is the preeminence of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brandon and I was talking about preeminence. I can hear it coming. He's preaching preeminence this morning also. Amen. That's what happens when two preachers talk. Amen. They start preaching overlap. Amen. Is he preeminent? Is he first? Martha, Martha, do you see yourself? Man, I'm Martha. I can see just a change of Julie and I's life and pastoring. And we talked about this in the last few weeks, her and I have. But just the business that is an attack. Even good things are not God things. Amen. That you've got to be careful where you set the boundary. And sometimes I just turn my phone off and we're just going to go do our thing because that's what we're going to do. Amen. We've got to keep this first thing first. Amen. We've got to keep the service and, and willingness toward God here, our family here, and the servant outside there. But sometimes you need to lock the gate, sturdy up the home, and say this is the most important thing we're building in the earth today because the children I have are a heritage of God and that means a hand has been prayed over Malachi, hope, faith and Isaiah and I want to see all of them doing the will of God. Amen. First John said he that does the will of God lives forever. There's not a doctrine to defeat that in this day and there's still fathers that give to their children all that they believe and all that they want to have. Amen. Amen. Jesus, right at the front. 
And so as I say also to the church in great care, I know that also there's been much change. But if I was to be honest, when I come in, I've seen many good things. And I've been preaching the preeminence of Christ that Jesus just stays at the front. Just as much as the milk barn needs to be cleaned out so we can milk the cows, I believe that God many times needs to clean within the house of God so He can continually expand and bring the first things first. Amen. It's not comfortable. But if we don't see the purpose for why we're doing what we're doing, we're, we just think it's a painful act. And if you're blind to what Jesus is doing, it's just painful. Ah! But if you see there's the bud that comes in the spring, the, the song of Solomon is true, that long winter is past, and the sound of the turtle dove can now be heard in the land. If you've ever plowed a bit of ground in hope, you know that springtime is coming. You know that God may have had to chop away and prune the vine that's the very blackberries on my farm. But one day He's going to bring the bloom and the blossom that only He can bring. Amen. In simplicity, if what we're doing with many things does not have the focus of one thing, again, it will only be painful. But if when we see that Christ is number one, and that wherever He asks us to go, we will go. Whatever He asks us to do, we will do. In the midst of that, your life comes... The one verse out of Romans 12, I am in a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And then we understand this is only a reasonable service. Amen. And so as I begin to give an invitation, my invitation is one that says, Pastor, I'm just going to agree with the Word today that sometimes many things fight me. Maybe the things, I know that there's too much busyness, I'm not as focused in this area. Maybe my job, I'm not even giving to my boss the honor that he needs to have or she needs to have. There's been those that have been said over my life. And I know that the many things I've focused on to be most important will now take a back seat to this one thing. And the one thing that Christ can allow me to humble myself and be thankful for my boss. Amen. If Christ really is Lord of your life, He knows how to put you where you need to be. You're not cutting out your own way. But man, as you think about Martha with these many things, and Mary with doing this one thing really well, I have to ask myself, Lord, where was this born? Where was the standard of the acceptance of doing one thing wonderfully well? And then I start thinking about the creation of eternity. And all that God has done, as the psalmist wrote wonderfully in the 8th Psalm, he said this was all. That is the heavens, the earth, the stars, the sun, the moon. They're all just the work of God's finger. Oh, and man, it was, it's the throne of God. It's the footstool of God. And God was doing all that. And then He got to the 66th chapter of Isaiah, the very last one. And He said, basically, there's nothing you can build that would get me in a place to want to come live in something your hands have made. But there's one thing you can do. God said there's just one thing His heart keeps beating after as someone who's humble and has a contrite spirit. He said, this is where I want to live. This is why you're called the 
temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple. This is why the mystery hid from ages is Christ inside of you. God doesn't care so much about what He... He made the stars perfectly. Put us the right distance from the sun. He made the footstools in such order. I mean, it's got everything beneath it. It grows the green herbs. You've got the birds of the air. The seeds producing after its own kind. You've got a genetic code that runs miles around the earth to build one of my children upon conception. God's done all of these things. There's over a million cells on both sides that give you sight after you come out of the womb. Are you kidding me? You've done all of these things. But what mattered most to God in all of these things, none of them were made without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there was nothing made that was made. And in all the excellency of the heavens and of the earth and all that is there, there was one thing on God's mind, and it was the only beloved, the begotten, the Son of God. And God knew in all of this, He wanted to do one thing really well. He wanted to send this one Son to a cross one day on one hill and bleed by one blood for everything in all all of eternity by one resurrection out of the death one time that you may have one faith and one Lord and one baptism that would secure you for all of eternity. God took many things, wrapped them up into one, simplified His focus and said, no matter what else I do, I'm always coming after you. This is why God never quits. This is what makes Him higher than the heavens. This is what makes Him a God of grace that is greater than your sin. He did all of this that He may pursue you. So I ask you, if you please stand to your feet. In light of all that He's done so excellent, I say this morning, I just want to do my one part really well also, Lord. I don't want the many things. I don't want the cares of the world to make me unfruitful. Lord, will you help me keep my focus to do one thing really well? It's never painless when you're doing it for the one that you love. 